You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. A few years ago, a well-known television reporter by the name of Ted Koppel gave a speech to college graduates. And I think at the moment he had his kind of finger on the pulse of times were changing. And one of the things that he said in his speech was to the students was the Bible says that there's 10 commandments, not 10 suggestions. And kind of followed up with that and what that meant for us. And so this morning we're going to kind of continue that thought of the scripture talks about the fact that there are 10 commandments and those commandments actually by our living those out, uh, show us and show God that we love him. And the, the Ten Commandments, as we talked about last week, and are guardrails and guides that point us to Jesus. And that they're not checklists for us to follow, but are actually life commandments for us to know how we can worship God well and how we can love and care for our neighbors well and do relationships well. So if you have your Bibles, we'll be turning to Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1 and going through verse 3. Before we get to that, there's also this culture of you know what, it's kind of do it my way, and if what I, what I say is right and truth, and people are constantly seeking out truth. And so, again, a couple of years ago, two guys decided, hey, we're going to create an atheist Ten Commandments. And so one of them was an executive for Airbnb, and another guy was a humanist chaplain at Stanford. And so together, they kind of came together, and they sent out a plea of, hey, we want you, of course, the Internet's a great place to get good information. We want you to tell us what the Atheist Ten Commandments are. And so they got over 2,800 different, different commandments. They got um, 13 different people that they thought were smart and that were humanists to be judged and to help them pick them for their Ten Commandments. And so this morning, I just want to kind of show you, here are the Atheist Ten Commandments. And we're not going to talk a whole lot about them, but I want you just to kind of see this is the mindset of some of our neighbors or even many of our neighbors that are living life apart from Jesus. So here they are. Be open-minded and willing to alter your beliefs with new evidence. Strive to understand what is most likely to be true, not believe what you wish to be true. The scientific method is the most reliable way to understand the world. Every person has the right to control of their body. God is not necessary to be a good person or live a full and meaningful life. Be mindful of the consequences of all your actions and recognize that you must take responsibility for them. That's actually pretty good, right? We're teaching our children to own their stuff. Also, it tells us this is the golden command. Treat others as you would want them to treat you and can reasonably expect to be treated. Think about your perspective. Also, we have the responsibility to consider others, including the future generations. And then here's the one that... Number nine, actually, when we listen to it, actually trumps all the other ones. There's no one right way to live. This is how our neighbors live. That their way to live is the right way, and they're putting up a guardian, they're putting up a deal of defense of this is when I make decisions, I make decisions for myself because I want what I want, when I want it, how I want it. And if it stomps on your toes, I'm sorry, but my truth is the right truth. And so this is where we get into trouble with when we get advice and counsel from others and from outsiders and not from God the Father, the source of wisdom and knowledge and truth, then we will determine what's right. And so if I get to determine what's right and you get to determine what's right, then who's right? 
It's an arbitrary system. And so when we say this, that there's no one right way to live, then we're actually saying that there is. There has to be. Kind of counterintuitive. And leave the world a better place than you found it. This no right way to live is destroying our culture. It's destroying our society. And I mean, obviously, everything on the Internet is true. So you guys just keep going to the Internet and finding these sources of truth for yourself and what this is and that, because it's going to change, right? I mean, you can just go on Facebook, and in five minutes, you can find 5,000 different ways to cook a casserole. So surely all this stuff is right. And who doesn't need wisdom from your gut? Like, you know what? My gut is telling me. Listen, if I had a really good Mexican food meal the night before, my gut's telling me a whole lot of different things that may not be right. Okay? So listen, this morning, there's the Atheist Ten Commandments. This morning, I want us to dig into God's Word. And we're going to be looking at the very first one. So if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 1. Now, I want to remind you that in Exodus chapter 19, God had been talking to Moses at the beginning of chapter 19. And about halfway through, verses 4, 5, and 6, he then changes from a singular you to Moses to a plural you to all of the Hebrew children. And so he's now engaging in a relationship. He's saying, Moses, you and I have begun this relationship. Together we have brought the people out of Egypt. We've brought the people out of slavery. Now I want the people to understand. They've seen who I am. They now know me. They've experienced me. And so now I'm inviting them into a relationship with me just as you and I, Moses, have had a relationship. I want all the Hebrew children to feel like and know that they can have the same type of relationship with me. So now we're in chapter 20, verse 1, with that idea. And here's what it says. Then God gave the people all these instructions. I am the Lord your God. Now, this I am is a covenant relationship word. He's in that moment. He's calling back for the Hebrew people, the I am. So in Exodus chapter 3, verse 4 and following, Moses has an encounter with God. And Moses was challenged and, and called to bring help bring the people out of Egypt. And whenever Moses said, well, who am I to tell them that sent me? Yahweh responded, I am. That is my name. That's the character of me. And so Moses, then when he went to talk to the Hebrew people and said, hey, God is calling us out. He's going to bring us out. He said, who said this? The I am. The God of Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac. It's his covenant name. It's his personal relationship name that he had with them. And so he's establishing that presence. He's establishing that relationship with them. And here's the interesting thing. God is speaking, right? This is not Moses speaking. This is God himself speaking to the people and saying, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt and brought you out of a place of slavery. I heard my kids cries and I responded. I brought you out. You were crying out to me, and I brought you out. And you've experienced what? You've experienced all the plagues. You've experienced the fact that blood was put on your posts, and everyone that didn't have the blood of the lamb on there, all of their firstborn sons died, and so all of your firstborn sons lived. You crossed the dry sea, the land on dry sea, and then you saw Pharaoh's armies get wiped out. When I led you through the wilderness, there was a fire... By day and a cloud by, I mean, all this different stuff. The stuff is going on. You've experienced all that. That is the I am. I am the covenant God, but I'm also the God that you've experienced and you've known. You've experienced all this with me. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and who brought you out of slavery. This is the one that you're having a relationship with me. Then God called the people, gave the people all of these instructions, verse 2. 
I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the lands of Egypt and slavery. I'm bringing you here. Now you know how we're going to live life together. So verse 3 says this, that you are to have no other gods but me. I just want several things I want you to grasp from this passage. The first one is this, is God wants us to worship him exclusively. Worship him exclusively. You must not have any other God before me. Why? Here's number one. There are no other gods. There are no other gods. So when you cried out, those other gods that you may have worshipped and that you cried out to, that maybe you wanted to have a child, so you cried out to the fertility god, or maybe the crops weren't going well, so you cried out to that god, and you had all these other gods, all those gods did not respond to your cries to get out of Egypt and to get out of slavery. Yahweh, the I Am, the covenant god of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am the one that showed up. So all the other gods that you pursue that you thought would, would answer in those moments, they did not answer. And why did they not answer? Because they do not exist. They are false gods. They are paper gods that you can push them over. You were worshiping them. You were giving your affection to them. You were giving their attention to them. You were giving your money to them. You were doing whatever you thought would appease those gods for them to respond, and they never responded. In the moment, though... When my children, when you cried out to me and said, I cannot do this anymore, I heard your cries and I responded and I sent Moses on my behalf and we've moved from Egypt and slavery to now we're about to enter into the promised land. And so therefore, because of that, I want you to understand and know how we can do life together. So the first four commandments are just about how we worship God and how we're in relationship with God. And the next six are about how we do relationship with other people. But the first one is no other gods before me because there are no other gods. The other part of this is that God is jealous. God is jealous for your affections and for your attention. And I know that we have a tendency to think of jealousy in a negative term. But in actuality, in Scripture, with God, God's jealousy is a holy jealousy. Because of the fact that these other gods are not real gods, when you give your affection and your intention to them and you cry out to them and they don't respond, God knows that. And he's jealous for his children's affection because he knows those gods will never fulfill. That you will give attention and with everything that you give to that, it will bring pain, shame, regret, lost time, whatever it is, because you're giving to something that will not give back to you in return. All the while, God the Father is over here saying, I'm here, just ask me. Just ask me. Remember, I hear your cries. I respond. I'm I'm jealous for your affection. And one of the reasons is because he's the only one worthy of worship because there are no other gods. He wants us to cry out to him. Another reason that we worship him exclusively is because this is the origin of all the other sins in our life. That if we begin to worship other things and get distracted from it and have a distorted view of who God is in our life, then we have a slippery slope that other things begin to happen and we allow other things because we don't understand who God is and that how much he's, there are no other gods and how jealous he is for our affection. So we pursue other things That will cause us harm, pain, shame, regret. Every sin has its origin and we have a distorted view of God. We move from, we add things to our worship. We pursue idols. So the second thing that I want you to grasp is one, is that we worship him exclusively because there are no other gods. Everything else will fail. He won't hear your cries. The second thing is that I want you to understand that we need to flee from idols. Scripture says run from them because there are those moments where it's attractive to you 
And in that moment when you understand that that's something that's attractive and your heart's affection is kind of going toward that, Scripture says, don't just kind of like turn and try to kind of sneak away. It says, recognize it and immediately plant your foot and run in the opposite direction. Here's why. In Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and following, there's a wonderful passage of Paul talks about our human nature and our struggle with sin. And here's what he says. Yes, they knew God. He's talking about people. He's talking about even us. And this knowing, this knowing, this knowing is gnosko. It's a experiential knowledge. Think about it. The Hebrew people had just experienced the plagues. They just experienced the crossing the Red Sea. They just experienced all these different things. So they knew God, right? So they knew God intellectually because they knew of the covenant of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and of what Moses had been telling them. So they had that knowledge. But now they had experienced the covenant God and they'd been walking with him and they'd seen all these different things. So not only did they have head knowledge, but now they have experiential knowledge. So they knew him. Gnosko knew him. And so here what Paul is telling us, he says, there are those that know him. They intellectually know him, but they've also experienced him. There's without a shadow of a doubt that when they've called on God, he's heard their cries. But this is the next thing. But they wouldn't worship him as God. So they've experienced him. They've known him. But for whatever reason, they still their hearts, affections, their minds intent is still to not worship him as God. And so here's the only God that's available, the only God that there is. And they continue to pursue other gods. And they don't even give thanks. And then what happens? Because they don't worship and they don't give thanks, they then begin to make up foolish ideas of what God was like. You come up with Ten Commandments like atheists. You begin to... Do all these different things. And what are we doing in those moments? We begin to justify our sin. We begin to justify our appetites. Because again, the number one thing is when we have a distorted view of who God is and his affections for us and what he wants from us, we then begin to make up gods in our own image and the ways that we want gods to respond to us. And that's an idol. Fools create idols so that we can worship them when we want to, how we want to, and therefore, the heart of God is he wants us to understand the very first thing that I need you to get right in relationship with me is I've already brought you out of slavery, right? I've already brought you out of freedom. And now what I want you to know is you've experienced me as the I am. You know the head knowledge. You've experienced me. Now worship me. I am worthy of your worship. Worship me exclusively. Flee from these idols. Let's talk about a few of those idols that are, I would say, modern day idols that we have in our life. The first one is the goddess of pleasure, of sexual pleasure. Okay? It destroys our relationships. It destroys our character. It destroys truthfulness and faithfulness. All right? It disconnects us from relationships. Again, a misconstrued idea of what love is. I mean, just look at the Internet. We can see it, right? Brokenness in marriages. And here's the one thing I think that we're, we're still trying to grasp is that whenever we bow down to the pleasure, to the goddess of sexual pleasure, it distorts our understanding of the blessing of children. To the, destroys our understanding of the blessing of children. And we're reaping that in our culture. Okay? Whatever you want to interpret that. When we bow down to the goddess of sexual pleasure, there are going to be unintended consequences. And so there are a lot of children that are unwanted. 
Okay? And so we're making decisions, bowing down at the goddess of sexual pleasure, and it is impacting the very core and the structure of our society. And our society, throughout history, the societies that have grown and sustained and been godlike, Judeo-Christian ethics, the number one thing that's been a huge part of it is the home is central to faith, and it's mom and dad in a covenant relationship together, striving and working out what it means to be a follower of Jesus and what it means to worship him exclusively. And that when a relationship within a husband and wife understanding that there's going to be moments where you don't like one another, but we've chosen to love one another and we've entered into that covenant and we're going to fight the fight for the covenant because that's what God does for us. The other goddess is the goddess of materialism. And again, it destroys our relationships. It destroys because we have this obsession with greed. And it's a, it's a subtle thing. I think especially in American culture, it's the American dream of that we have this idea of people kind of this idea of what people think we should have. We should have this certain house, a certain car, two and a half kids and all this different stuff. And so we're pursuing those things and it's a subtle thing. So we work a little bit more. We give up time with our kids we, all of a sudden. And so you got to have this and you got to need this. And so you're constantly working and it's a subtle thing. If I'm doing good for my family, I want more for my kids. I want whatever. And then somewhere along the way, the needs prop in because you need the newest iPhone, you need the newest. And so all this different stuff. And the next thing you know is that we're bowing down to the goddess of materialism and we've given up so much family time and other things because we need some of these things or we believe that we need them when in reality we don't. We need more time with our kids and our spouse and, and our family and our friends. So the goddess of sexual pleasure, the goddess of materialism, and then also the goddess of pride. That pride destroys our relationships and our spiritual life. And here's how I'll describe it. As a result of pride is that we believe that we can serve ourselves and our needs and our wants and also serve God. That they're not, that they're not mutually exclusive. Because at times they are mutually exclusive. That God will transform our hearts and our appetites because our pride gets in the way and we want what we want when we want it and we want the applause of people instead of the applause of God. We find our worth and our value in what our neighbors think about us than what God thinks about us. And so our pride gets in the way. As Paul said, they knew God. They not only intellectually knew them, but they'd experienced them, but they did not honor him and worship him. And worship isn't something that's just like this. We don't just gather here to worship, but worship is with our life. What we do at work, what we do at school, where we go. We can easily create a worship system or religious system that's made by us and for us. And in that, we create an idol. Whenever we begin to tell God who he is instead of him telling us who he is. The next thing that I want you to get from this Exodus chapter 20 verse 3 is that the father through even worship him exclusively. Know their gods before me. He points us to himself and he points us to Jesus. Look at this passage in Mark chapter 9. This is the, the story of the transfiguration where Jesus and his disciples were together, and Jesus looked at his disciples and said, Hey, Peter, James, and John, I want to show you something. I know you guys like to go hike. We're going to go hike up to the mountain. You other guys, y'all go have a Starbucks coffee or something, and we'll come back and we'll, we'll talk about this. And so Peter, James, and John, they get together, and they walk up the mountain, and they, have, they get to the top of the mountain, and something crazy happens. Jesus transfigures. He changes. His form changes in that moment, and, and Moses and Elijah show up. Now listen, if I were Peter, James, and John, that would be a weird experience. I might have like 
scared me to death. I might even feed my pants. I don't know what I would have done. That was like a crazy experience. And so they're there in this moment. And then, so not only has Jesus transfigured and changed, but listen to this. God again speaks vocally. He speaks to those three guys. And here's what he says. This is my dearly loved son. Listen to him. That is powerful stuff. God the Father is saying, this is my son. Listen to him. I'm giving him authority. I'm giving him power. I'm giving him, you need to listen to him. And as we know, and as we've talked about, to listen means you've heard and you've responded. So God the Father is telling Peter, James, and John, and through them, the other disciples, and also us, listen to my son, Jesus. He's my dearly little son. Listen to him and obey what he has for you. So these next few verses, I want you to see that Jesus is constantly talking about his relationship with the Father and what it looks like to be in relationship with him. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. Whatever the Father does, the Son does also. John eight thirty eight. I was telling you that what I saw when I was with my Father but you are following the advice of your father. This was a tense conversation that the religious people had come to Jesus and asked him a question. And Jesus says, listen, I'm only doing what I watch the father do. You're doing what your father does. And their father, he was saying, was Satan. So you're following the evil one, the deceiver. You're following him. I'm following my father. I've come from heaven. I'm here doing what he does. You do what you do. And that's why we're in competition together is because you're religious, but you don't know me. You think you know me, but you're not honoring me. You think you're hearing from the Father, but you've made a God of your own, and so you're doing what you think that you should do. And I'm here. God himself is in your presence, and you do not recognize me. Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. Wow. That religious crowd was mad. Because when he said, I am, he's saying, listen, I and the Father am one. At that moment when Exodus, in Exodus chapter 3, whenever God said, I am, I was present. At the beginning of the earth, whenever everything was created, I am was there. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. When he says, when you cry out God, it's like, yes, yes, yes. We're there. I am is there. And so here Jesus is proclaiming, this is who I am. The Father and I are one. The Father, I am doing the Father's business. This is not me. When you see me, you see the Father. We are inseparable. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, again, gnosko, if you had experienced me, if you had known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Listen, one of the things that my kids love, and I'm using that in jest, is the fact that they look and act and talk like me. Right? Even my daughter sometimes, they're like, like, who, who do you look like? And she's like, covers her hair and everybody's like, oh my gosh, you look like your dad. She's like, I know. My son sometimes will do something and somebody's like, oh my gosh, just like your dad. Listen, this is what Jesus is saying. Everything that I do, I've been such in the presence of the Father. I've caught everything from him. So as you see me, you see the actions and the love and the words that my Father would be doing. Just as you don't, there's things that you do sometimes and you're like, oh my gosh, that's my dad. And Jesus is saying, exactly. Everything you see about me, you see my dad. I am. If you do not know Yahweh through Jesus, you do not know him. Listen, even this past week, 
one of the things that that's challenging for us is we need to, as followers of Jesus, we need to spend time in God's Word. That's how we get to know the Father. That's how we get to know Jesus. And and I know that sometimes if you didn't go to seminary, if you didn't go to college, you get a Bible degree. Sometimes you open up the Bible and you're like, where do I start? Where do I even begin? It can seem overwhelming. And what I'm saying is just find somebody, begin to begin to dig in. God's Word is living and active and transforming. It will change you and, and all that. But our theology matters. And here's why I want to tell you this. I, I teach classes in college, and one of the classes I'm teaching even this week our paper, the paper the students had to do was tell me the core essential beliefs, so the four or five core essential beliefs of what it identifies you as a Jesus follower. And so they, had, they wrote this paper and all this different stuff, and I go through and I'm grading them. And this one paper, one of the things that, that they said, they listed some distinctives, and they said, so because of these distinctives, it also means that Mormons are Christians and Muslims are Christians. And I'm like, oh, Lordy. No. Because of these distinctives, it shows that Mormons are not Christians and Muslims are not Christians. Mormons do not believe that Jesus is the exclusive way to salvation. Muslims do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Listen, if you do not have Jesus as the center and foundation and He is the way, the truth, and the life and the exclusive way to the Father, then that is not Christianity. And so for us, it's easy for the world to infiltrate us with all of these ideas. And even scripture tells us Satan is like, he is like light. There are moments where he will throw things at us that sound like truth, but are slightly distorted. And if they're slightly distorted truth, then they're not truth. We do this in our own life. How big was that fish that you caught? And you're like, right? And so Satan does that with us. And that's how you can end up with, yeah, oh yeah, Mormons are Christians and Muslims are Christians and Allah is not the same as Yahweh. If you choose scriptures other than scripture, then those trump scripture and so scripture is not the foundation. So anyway, we won't keep going. What I'm saying is you need to dig in and know Jesus and know the Father. Because here's what I want you to get. Is every person we come in contact with, including ourselves, we have a God. We worship something. We were created to worship and to be in fellowship together. So everyone has a God that they worship, and every one of those gods demands obedience from us. And that demands obedience, then also we become servants too, right? So you know this is scriptural language, but you think about if someone does not know Jesus and they bow down to their checkbook, then they're worshiping that God, and that becomes their slave. Their worth, their value comes from that. Sexual pleasure becomes their worth, their value. All these different things put it in it. Everyone has a God, and that God demands obedience, and that obedience drives us to servanthood or slavery for that. And that's why Jesus says, worship me exclusively. Worship God first. Worship God second. Worship God third. Worship God last. And everything in between is worship of the Father and Him exclusively. Anything outside of that is an idol. So first and ten. No other gods before me. No other gods before me. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you have chosen to speak to us. That you just didn't speak to Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, and Moses, but you have spoken to all creation. 
Father, I pray for each one of us in this room, that one, that we know you, that we know Jesus, and that, Father, that we lean in to that. That when life gets hard, when life gets difficult, when things are challenging, that we lean into the truth and find life and life to the full in Jesus Christ. For it's in his son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.